You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, guys? I'm Faraz Siddiqui from Upper Hand Fantasy. We're going to go over the top 10 fantasy running backs for this upcoming 2022 NFL season. Number one, and this is going to surprise you off the bat. Christian McCaffrey. Let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, Christian McCaffrey has not played anywhere close to a full season over the last two years. Now, does that mean he can't stay on the field? No. He played 16 games each of the two years before that. He's still 26 years old, and he's not near any of the touch thresholds where running backs start to break down. He had a hamstring strain, and he had a rolled ankle last year. Are you fading him because of that? You're fading a guy who literally broke fantasy records just a couple seasons ago? Averaging 30 fantasy points per game in PPR leagues over two seasons before 2021. And I'll get to the consensus one-on-one Jonathan Taylor in a minute, but Christian McCaffrey's 30 fantasy points per game was eight fantasy points ahead of Jonathan Taylor as the RB1 last year. That's a down year for an overall RB1. And because he was the RB1 last year, that's really why everyone feels comfortable to put him as their RB1 this year. Hate to say it, but it's true. Jonathan Taylor isn't going to have 100-catch seasons. Christian McCaffrey did it twice, and he had an 80-catch season in his rookie year. I'm personally not ready to label McCaffrey's injuries as career-threatening. He didn't tear an ACL. He didn't rupture an Achilles. His injuries aren't even as serious as Dalvin Cook's reoccurring shoulder injuries. I personally think Dalvin Cook has a higher re-injury risk than Christian McCaffrey. And McCaffrey did play some games last year. He played five full games, and guess what? He finished in the top five four times. As the wise Herman Edwards once said, you play to win the game. You play to win the game. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. I'm not playing to lose. I'm not trying to play it safe. I am trying to win. And if Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, he is going to win your championships. That's why I have him as number one. I totally understand that you got burned last year. You got burned the year before. I get it. If you want to be safe, I totally understand. That's just not my personal style. When there's a clear running back and probably the only running back in the league who is capable of averaging 30 fantasy points per game, I just can't fade that because of recency bias. Remember, a lot of people were fading Joe Mixon last year. I wasn't. I'm not fading Christian McCaffrey either. All right, coming in after Christian McCaffrey is Jonathan Taylor at number two. Jonathan Taylor is a bet on talent. He's one of the best running backs in the league, clearly, and he broke away runs at the highest rate of any qualifying running back last year. He doesn't have the ideal role for fantasy because we know that targets are worth way more than carries, especially in PPR leagues. The hope is that he continues to be efficient in the run game behind a good offensive line. JT scored almost 40% of his total fantasy points while the Colts have a big lead. So if that changes at all, he might be a little bit of a liability just because he's not the primary pass catching running back on his team. But we're being a little nitpicky here. Once he got that role locked down as that bell cow, as that workhorse, The dude was averaging like 24 rushing attempts per game. 
He was seeing 80% plus snaps at times. He was seeing 90% plus snaps at times down the stretch. And with Matt Ryan at QB, we might see a little bit of improvement in the offense. So JT can maintain that prolific goal line role that he has. He had 18 touchdowns last year. He had 30 carries inside the five yard line that led the league by far. And Matt Ryan might be more willing to target his running backs given the fact that he's just a statue in the pocket. But you have to keep in mind, Naheem Hines is still there and he's still one of the better pass catchers in the league. I'm on the boat of just leave JT on the field as much as possible. Let him run routes, let him catch passes, because overall he's a much better player than Naheem Hines, let's be honest, even in the past game he's very underrated. His efficiency stats in the receiving game coming out of college was actually really good, and I believe he should get more opportunity there. I'm not sure that will happen, but that's what I hope happens. He had a respectable 1.23 yards per route run, he caught 40 balls, which is very solid. And he led all qualifying running backs in yards after the catch per reception. Just not sure that Frank Wright shares that opinion with me. And if he envisions a bigger role for Jonathan Taylor in the past game, especially since he keeps talking up Naheem Hines. And I get it, Hines is a pretty efficient receiver, 1.52 yards per route run this past season, which was 10th among qualifying running backs. And he was fourth in 2020. But JT's bread and butter is in the run game. He was only second behind Nick Chubb in yards after contact per attempt last year, but he was first in most missed tackles first. He was most, <laughs> but he was first in most missed tackles forced. He was first in most rushes over 10 yards last year. And he was first in most of our collective fantasy football hearts. All right, coming in at number three is Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler simply has one of the best roles in all of fantasy football. He's not running the ball 20 times a game, but he's extremely involved in the pass game. And as we know, targets are worth way more than carries, about three times more than a carry in PPR leagues. And if you're not playing in PPR leagues, go f*** yourself. He missed one game last year, and he was still second in targets and receptions among running backs. He led all running backs in receiving yards, led all running backs in receiving touchdowns. He had the most red zone targets, the most red zone receptions. He ran the second most routes among all running backs. And among the 10 running backs who had 60 targets or more last year, he was third in yards per route run. And one thing Eckler is doing now that he never did before in his career, thanks to this new coaching staff, he's the goal line back the clear goal line back. He had 16 carries inside the five yard line last year that was top four among all running backs and no other Chargers running back had more than two. The efficiency goes even further. He led the league in most fantasy points per touch among all qualifying running backs. And as far as Isaiah Spiller goes, it's a great landing spot for him, but only if Eckler gets hurt. I don't think he cuts into Eckler's workload. I just think that he cuts into or takes over that role that was played by guys like Justin Jackson, Larry Roundtree, Josh Kelly, and all of what I mentioned above with Austin Eckler, he did that by only playing 65% of snaps. So there's plenty to go around for Isaiah Spiller if he were to get a role. The Chargers had bigger backs on the roster, but they still decided to give the ball to Austin Eckler when it counted. He got a ton of goal line work, as we talked about, and he scored on 56% of those goal line carries, which is extremely efficient. On a great offense, he's exactly what you're looking for in a fantasy running back. All right, coming in at number four is Derrick Henry. Now, I'm going to say this about Derrick Henry. I'm not targeting him this year. He's just about at the 1,500 carry mark where most running backs tend to fall off just a little bit. And he's 28 years old, which is another marker that points to potential drop-off. And he has been showing some signs of slowing down over the past three seasons, whether that was his breakaway rate going down each of the last three years, whether it was his yards after contact per attempt, going down each of the last three years. And can Henry be different? Can he be an outlier? Yes. Was he balling last year from a fantasy perspective? Yes. But we have to keep in mind that he was given a ridiculous amount of volume. 
Turn it up. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. Turn it That's the max. It is the max. That's the max. He was on pace for 465 rushing attempts. Are you serious? <laughs> no wonder he got hurt. 27.4 carries per game. The dude came through for fantasy while he was healthy. 117 rushing yards per game, 1.3 touchdowns per game in the eight games that he did play in. So if he can stay healthy despite the ridiculous workload that he's going to get, sure, he's going to kill it for fantasy. 24.2 fantasy points per game. That was first among all running backs during that span. You can't deny that. No A.J. Brown definitely hurts this offense, but volume trumps all when it comes to running backs, and Henry is going to get that. He's not too involved in the receiving game, but I do see 40 catches being in the range of his outcomes. Especially given with how they were using him last year, there was a little bit of an uptick in that department. In Dynasty, I'm selling him while I can before he breaks down. In Redraft, I get why you want to take him in the first round. Personally, I won't be. Coming in at number five is Najee Harris. When it comes to fantasy, there is no running back who has a better role than Najee Harris. He's one of the only running backs who's on the field for almost every single snap. He played a full 17 games last year, and there was only five games where he dipped below 80% of snaps, and it wasn't by much, by the way. And then he had another seven games where he played above 90% of snaps. And as we know, for running backs, snap percentage has a very high correlation to fantasy points scored. Najee Harris led the league in touches. He led the league in targets and receptions, but he wasn't overly efficient. Regardless, that role is going to be the same going into this season. He was only second behind Jonathan Taylor in total carries. And some may think that because Ben isn't under center that Najee Harris's target volume is going to go way down. I just don't think that's how it works. If he's on the field running routes, he's going to be targeted. It doesn't matter that the dinosaur of a QB is behind center or not. Najee Harris was the RB5 in points per game last year, despite the fact that he had a terrible offensive line. And that just goes to show how insignificant offensive line play is for a running back for fantasy, as long as that running back is going to be catching a ton of passes. The offensive line still isn't where it needs to be, but it has made some improvements. And like I mentioned with Najee, the efficiency might not be there, but opportunity trumps all. And we know he's going to get it. That's how Mike Tomlin rolls. They drafted him in the first round for him to be the bell cow. Okay, here's my number sixth rank fantasy running back this year, Dalvin Cook. Believe it or not, even with Dalvin Cook missing some time last year, he was still seventh in the league in overall touches. He had 49 targets last year, which is a little bit less than four targets per game. So he wasn't extremely involved in the pass game. But when he did play, he was averaging about 23 touches per game. And that's going to get it done for fantasy. However, this past season was the most inefficient season of Dalvin Cook's career. Among the 35 running backs who had 40 or more targets last year, Dalvin Cook was 29th in yards per route run. And among the 18 running backs who had 200 or more carries last year, Dalvin Cook was second to last. He was 17th in yards after contact per attempt. Now, he only scored six touchdowns last year after scoring 17 and 13 touchdowns the year before. Touchdowns vary from year to year. It's a highly unpredictable stat, but I do expect that number to go way up if we do see him get the workload that we project him for and he stays healthy. I mean, he had 15 carries inside the five-yard line and he only scored three touchdowns off of those 15 carries. I'd expect that percentage to go up this year and Alexander Madison wasn't really involved in that part of the game when Dalvin Cook was healthy. He only had four total carries inside the five-yard line last year. Cook doesn't come without risk. I'm curious to know whether those shoulder injuries are mounting up to the point where we should just be avoiding him in drafts. He's going off the board as the RB6 on underdog at the end of the first round. And I'm thinking, like, is it safer to go with a running back that late who is going to have a ton of opportunity who might not have, like, a lingering, potentially chronic issue? Now, for what it's worth, he did recently say that his shoulder does feel the best that it's ever been coming into OTAs, coming into camp. So take that for what it's worth. 
Now, when Dalvin Cook did play, and the reason why he's ranked so high is because of the fact that he is a workhorse. He has the ability to be efficient. He played 70% of snaps or more in all the games that he did finish or was healthy for. Until the very end of the year when he got COVID, missed a game, and then the next two games, he didn't really play as much as he normally would. Now, there has been rumblings out of OTA saying that he's being used as a wide receiver more, and that would be very welcome. He only lined up as a receiver last year, whether it was in the slot or on the outside, for a total of 37 times. So any change there, as we know, targets are worth more than carries. I would welcome this a ton. Now, despite me talking about how inefficient Dalvin Cook was in the receiving game this past year, he is a good receiver. He just didn't have a great year in that regard. In 2020, among all 28 running backs who had 40 targets or more, he was 10th in yards per route run. And then in 2019, among all 32 of the running backs who did hit that 40 target threshold, he was second among all of them in yards per route run. Where he did stand out last year was his ability to create big plays. He was second only to Jonathan Taylor in the number of breakaway runs that he had and the number of breakaway runs that he had on a per carry basis. I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. It's it gets gross. the people going. And breakaway runs meaning 15 yards or more. He also had the third most rushing attempts last year that went 10 yards or more. Now, if you'd like to handcuff your own running backs, that could be a topic of a whole other video, but Alexander Madison is one of the best handcuffs in the NFL. He's an easy plug-and-play RB1, likely high-end RB1 if Dalvin Cook were to miss time. I personally don't like handcuffing my own running backs, but in this particular situation, it might make a sense. It might make a sense. I might make an exception because of the clarity in that backfield. All right, coming in at number seven is James Conner. I'm very excited for James Conner this year. And I'm just hoping that he can stay healthy given the workload that I think he's going to get without Chase Evans there. And he's a value right now. I have him here at number seven, and he's going off the board as the RB15 on Underdog. And by the way, if you're not signed up for Underdog, let me tell you more about it. It's literally the easiest way to play fantasy football. There's no in-season management, there's no waiver wire pickups every week, no setting lineups, and there's no points left on your bench. Your lineup is automatically optimized every single week based on which players did best. It's that simple. And you can win money doing it. It's really the best practice that you can get for your season-long leagues, and there are a variety of types of contests that you can play in. Right now, Underdog has a contest called Best Ball Mania, where they have $10 million in prizes, with $2 million going to the tournament winner, $1 million going to whoever has the most fantasy points at the end of the regular season, and then another $7 million to disperse to a bunch of other people, and that could be you. If you use code UPPERHAND when you sign up, Underdog will double your first deposit up to 100 bucks. So let's say you deposit 100 bucks, you'll get an extra 100 bucks to enter more contests for a chance to win even more money. Not only that, but when you use code UPPERHAND, I'll be sending you a free rookie draft kit when you sign up. So click that link in the description to sign up today. Okay, back to James Conner. Chase Edmonds is gone and Conner just got paid. You look at the depth chart, no more competition for touches. And we got a taste of that last year. Edmonds missed six games, so we do have a sample. There was a five-week stretch where Edmonds missed, and Connor was the RB2 during that span. And then when Edmonds missed week 18 later on, Connor was the overall RB1 that week. And even with Edmonds playing in 12 games last year, Connor still ended up being the overall RB5. 21.6 touches per game when Edmonds missed very involved in the passing game, and very efficient. There were 35 running backs last year who had 40 or more targets, and Connor was 7th in yards per route run, 3rd in yards per reception, and 1st in catch percentage. The goal line role was his all year long, and he was only behind Jonathan Taylor in rushing attempts inside the 5-yard line. I'm personally aiming for Connor in the 3rd round of every draft that I do. Alright, number 8, Leonard Fournette. 
Fournette just got paid and he's back with Tom Brady. And being back with Tom Brady means what? More targets to the running back position. Fournette saw 84 targets last year, 69 catches, both of those being third among all running backs last year. Fournette was actually right at the top of the league among running backs in targets per game. That propped up his value tremendously, but being on a good offense also helps. Now, the Bucs did add Rashad White in the third round of the NFL draft, and that's notable because he was the best pass-catching running back in that draft. He's somebody that can help the Bucs out in that department right away. And it's not that Fournette wasn't good in the pass game last year. He's good, but it's just that Rashad White might be better. And while I do think this is going to affect Fournette, it is worth noting that Fournette did see about 88% of his targets on early downs. And I think Brady is still going to continue to give him checkdowns when he is running routes on the field. So I don't think Fournette has that 80 catch potential at this point anymore. I think it's more around 50 catches or so, but which is still solid. And with Chris Gowen potentially not being himself early in the year, coming off of that torn ACL, Antonio Brown not being around either, obviously, there's going to be plenty of targets to go around for these running backs. But Fournette has a goal line role on a good offense. He's still going to be pretty involved in the pass game. Should average around 15 carries or so as well on a per game basis. So all of that should be enough to maintain Fournette as a top 10 running back this season. Okay, coming in at number 9 is Joe Mixon. And you might be wondering why I have Joe Mixon ranked as a low-end RB1 when he just finished as the RB4 last year. And the reason for that is his role is more of a low-end RB1 than it is of a high-end or mid-RB1. Unfortunately, Mixon was coming off the field last year for guys like Samaji Pirine and Chris Evans. These guys both had 42 catches last year, the same amount as Joe Mixon did. Mixon is involved in the passing game, but it's just not enough. And he's a good pass catcher. I just wish that he was more involved. Three targets per game is not going to do it for me. And I'm hoping, I don't know if this is going to happen, but if P. Ryan and Evans goes away and you let Mixon stay on the field for third and longs and two-minute passing situations, his value would go up immensely. Now, he does have that goal line role unlocked, 15 of those last year. Now, he had 13 rushing touchdowns last year, but only three of those came on those 15 goal line carries. So can he potentially see a... 20 touchdown season? I think so. I think that's in his range of outcomes, but just expect some variance there. Now, Mixon is on a great offense, and that's what's going to carry him. And believe it or not, this offense can actually take a step forward given how slow they were last year. Their pace of play was one of the slowest in the league. And if they just move that up just a little bit, this whole offense, as hard as to believe, as good as they were last year, they can actually take a step forward. And Mixon would obviously benefit from that. All right, coming in at number 10 is DeAndre Swift. Swift has one of the best receiving roles in the league among running backs. He actually tied Leonard Fournette for the most targets per game last year. Now, Swift hasn't been able to put a full breakout season together, but his upside is apparent. That's why he's a top five dynasty running back right now. From weeks one through 11 last year before he got hurt, he was the overall RB5 for fantasy. He had 67 targets in that span, which means that he was on pace for 114 targets and 90 catches. His 1.88 yards per route run during those weeks was extremely efficient, and so was his 9.4 yards after the catch per reception. Now make no mistake, Swift has a lot of improvement to do in the run game. Among all 38 running backs who had at least 50 carries during that span, he was dead last in yards after contact per attempt, and by a significant amount. During those 11 weeks, in the run game, he only had three missed tackles forced. 65 carries, only three missed tackles forced. So maybe Anthony Lynn had a point with Jamal Williams last year, you know, considering him his 1A in the run game. Either way, Anthony Lynn's not there anymore, and it didn't stop DeAndre Swift from being a top five running back in that span. 
but his forte is going to be in the receiving game, and that's his bread and butter. That was obviously enough for him to be a top fantasy running back last year when he was healthy. So if he can stay healthy this year on what should be a better offense with a good offensive line, he can potentially take another step forward. All right, guys, those are my top 10 fantasy running backs. If you want to see the rest of my rankings, go check out my Instagram. I'll put the link in the description below. Thank you, guys, as always. Really appreciate you. See you later.